can take bets now on whether or not I kick that over. <laughs> it's a risk. I'm just saying. I Do we have ten? Ten. Now, good morning. Uh, turn with me, if you haven't already, uh, in your Bibles to page 1015 in your pew Bible or wherever else it is in your personal Bible to First uh, Peter 2. 13 through 17. We got a doozy today, folks. We've got a doozy today, and it's coming off of a doozy. I'm not sure if you uh, were here last week or um, if you were able to get online to hear Pastor Chris's sermon on holiness. You guys know my relationship with Chris, right? You know that there is nothing, nothing in this earth that I enjoy more than to rip on this man. I, and it doesn't matter if he's sitting right there. It doesn't matter if he's in Alabama shirking his responsibilities. It doesn't matter where he is. I love ripping on that man. He makes it so easy because he just does, hey, 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 just does a little laugh. You know, I'm just like, I'm going to come at him more. And so you know how much it pains me to stand up here and say that last week's sermon on holiness was not only probably the best sermon I've ever heard in relationship to holiness and our call to pursue it as a part of who we are as Christ followers, um, but, but I mean, far and away the best sermon that I've ever heard Chris himself preach. Um, if you have not taken the time to listen to it, or if you're like, man, I just, I can't really remember what that was about, go back and listen to it again. Uh, it's, it's definitely for your good and for the good of the body. And there, I said it, it's done. Chris, can we destroy that part of the sermon in the archives? Can we? Because my guess is he's not live streaming, he's probably sleeping in. And so if we could just, that first part, and just starting now. So today, we are going to continue... Uh, with our conversation surrounding holiness in a very specific application of what it looks like to actually live out um, our, our personal holiness. And uh, it, it may be in a way that makes you uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable because I'm a person who wants what I want when I want it, and I don't want people to tell me otherwise. And so as we look at this today, it may make us uncomfortable, uh, but again, all the more reason for us to press into it. Amen. So before we go to our text for today, let's, uh, let's go before the Lord in a word of prayer. God, we thank you so much for this space today where we can wrestle with your word, wrestle uh, with what it means to have you as our ultimate authority and to submit to the authorities that you, uh, in, in your goodness and your sovereignty, have, have placed over us. God, we know that uh, this is a, a difficult topic, and it's one that can uh, make us heated uh, because it, it goes against the stuff of life that we hold dearly. And yet, God, I pray that in this day and in the days ahead that we would be a people uh, who are willing to submit, who are willing to surrender, who are willing to do anything that is necessary for the worship of you as the one true God and for the expansion of your kingdom. God, I pray that in our time, in this lifetime, however many days that we have, I pray that we would be a people that works to that end. 
and to no other. And so God, show us what this command to submit means in relationship to the life that we are called to live. And I pray that you would guard my mouth against saying stupid, frivolous stuff that doesn't need to be said, but only that which is beneficial to build up and to encourage us towards the image of your Son. And we pray this in his name. Amen. So submission, huh? Who wants to talk about that? Not me. Uh, thanks, Chris. No. <laughs> No, um, it's it's a it's a tough topic, right? Because we got, you know, we got people like Mark Hall out there who it's like if there's an election, he comes running. You know, it's just like, whoa, government, yeah, here we go. I'm pressing in, like, here we go. Vote for me. I'm all in on this. And he's he's actually someone who runs towards government. And I'm I'm very thankful for you, brother. I mean, you're you're doing stuff that I couldn't, and fighting on the wall for things that I need you to fight for. Right? So he runs towards government. And then we have other people where I say, hey, we're talking about uh, submission to authority and relationship to government. You run in a different direction. You run towards the bunker that you made 20 years ago that has all of your ammo and all of your firearms that they don't know about. And, like, when we start talking about this, like, you get all up in arms. You're like, you're not going to tell me to submit to anything that I don't want to. I... <laughs> I get it. I know there's enough concealed carry people out there to just say... Chill, you know? Just please, in this instance, don't shoot the messenger. Let's just make it to the end of the service, okay? Let's just make it to the end of the service. So I know that just in specifically to this relationship to our governing authorities as it pertains to government, tensions are high, and I, and I get that. I get that. Now, there's a lot of institutional authorities that we are called to submit to. Today, we're going to focus on government because uh, whether it be our familial authorities and, and the headship and the household or um, our jobs and just other institutional authorities, those are going to be better covered later uh, within the book of First Peter, but today we really kind of want to want to dive into this conversation surrounding government and say, okay, as a as a Christian, this call to submit, what does that what does that mean for me personally? What does that actually mean when God tells me to submit, to be subject to, and to honor the governing authorities that are placed over me? What does that mean in our cultural context? Disclaimer. I'm not going to be able to fully answer that in 45 minutes, but hopefully we can at least start the conversation and push it in a healthy direction. But before we even begin that conversation, um, let me go ahead and, and read our passage for today. Um, and then I want to, I want to kind of set a context around this discussion. My watch fell off. This is, I'm sorry. I mean, it's not like I'm back, but like, how did that even happen? Oh, I need a new watch. That's really sad. Anyway, uh, let me read our passage for today. So follow along with me in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Be subject or submit to, for the Lord's sake, every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Verse 15, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Verse 16, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. 
Very important for us to point out some context here. This is the first point in your outline. Commands surrounding our submission to authority were always given in a context of corruption. This is true in Old Testament. This is true in New Testament. As we go to Romans, as we turn to Titus, as we look at our passage here, as we dive back into Daniel, as we look at Acts, all of these examples, all of these models, all of these calls to or models of submitting to authority were done in a political context, in a context of governing authority that is far more corrupt than anything that we know today. Babylon. You ever hear that name in Scripture? Yikes. The Greco-Roman world. I mean, guys, we're, we're talking about context where it wasn't that they were, oh, they're, they're slipping into a form of secularism or, oh, they're slipping into this, this, this kind of morality that doesn't look like Christianity. Guys, we're talking about a, con- a context, a norm where Christian morals and values aren't even a part of the conversation. That the one true God is not even an option on the ticket for one of the candidates to follow. Are you, do you understand this? So when we are sitting here about this, this well, a, the Biden wasn't their president. Oh, the, chill. Nero was their president. Go read about him. Nebuchadnezzar was their president. Like, We have to understand that context before we can ever have a healthy conversation because if our reality is the only reality that we're really thinking about, then these calls to submit, to honor, they don't make sense to us because our worst is the worst that we're ever experiencing. We need to understand 1 Peter was written to us at a time where Christians were were being torn from their homes where they weren't given a fair trial, where they weren't given a voice within society. If you were a follower of the way, if you were one of these little Christians, these little Jesuses, whoa, 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 whoa. You're right. You don't have them. And what we give to you is what you deserve because you are a rebellious seed that needs to be snuffed out. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to understand that context. It's crucial, right? Hopefully we all see that. And now as we read through, didn't kick it yet. Need it now. Shaky hands today. Gosh, I hate this topic. Okay, here we go. In light of that context, let's read verses 13 through 14 again. Be subject or submit to. Same thing. For the sake of the Lord, or for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. This command is not unique to First Peter. We see it throughout scripture. Um, if you were to turn with me to Titus chapter 3 verse 1, kind of spells out a little bit what honorable submission looks like. Right, We get this call to, to submit and also to honor, but what does that really mean? What does that really mean? Well, let's look at uh, Titus 3.1. It says, remind them, remind the believers to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, 
to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. So that kind of fleshes out a little bit what it may look like to honor everyone, to honor the emperor, to submit in a, in, in a way that reflects the type of submission that God is calling us to as believers. And as we look at Romans 13, verses 1 through 7, Paul writes this. Paul, again, the guy who's been beaten, who's been whipped, who's been thrown in jail, who's like all of this is his context, right? And he's writing this in the book of Romans, I believe from prison, right? Probably didn't deserve that, but here's what he's calling us to in Romans chapter 13. Let every person, no Greek tricks there, that's all of us, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority, please, let's hear this. Let's, let's let the word of God wash over us. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For the rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Eh. We'll talk about that. Would you have no fear of one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Simply put, God commands us to submit to the authorities that he has placed over us. That is a clear-cut command in Scripture. Be subject or submit to... Claymaker, I'm glad you're here today, because it's a military term, bro. You know all about this, right? Military terminology for soldiers falling in line under a commander. And so there's probably few in this room that really understand what that means more than you. Because if you don't fall in line under your commander, I'm sure that there are some consequences to that. And that makes sense because our God is a God of order, right? We see this within creation, and it makes sense that we would see this in the way that he has structured humanity and the way in which we are supposed to operate in his world of order, that there is supposed to be submission, that we are supposed to be subject to governing authorities, ultimately ones that he has placed over us, but in response to the command that he has given us, right? So when it comes to government and laws of the land or our places of employment and policies of our company or our churches and their authority pertaining to matters of Christian living and doctrine or educational institutions that we willingly attend and the rules that they enforce or homes that we live in and the rules enforced by our parents or the headship of our husband, we are called to a posture of willing, respectful submission to the authorities that are over us. Knowing that these institutions, as Paul states in Romans 13, have been instituted by God and no other authority over us 
exists unless our ultimate authority allows it to exist. Now, obviously, when we talk about authority in relationship to our jobs and homes and all that, like, there's, there's a million different rabbit trails. And like I said, some of these we are going to cover later because they are better covered later within the text. We want to look specifically at this area of government. And I think as it pertains to all areas in which we are called to submit, ultimately, our submission is a reflection. Everything that we are called to as little Christ's are a reflection of the one whom we have placed our faith in and are called to serve, right? So this issue of submission, before we can tackle it, we have to actually understand why we are called to submit to begin with. Now I will take a drink. And now we will look at Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8, because in it we see modeled for us um, something that we are that we are actually called to Philippians 2, 6 through 8. Jesus Christ, Paul writes, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That does not mean that Jesus was not equal to God. It means that in this moment, he was willing to submit his high place where he was praised all day long to willingly submit to a lesser form. What was that lesser form? He emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. A slave, a doulos. We'll talk more about that word later, but that is what, that's what Christ takes on. He willingly takes on this form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So that lesser form is our form. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So here's Jesus, the second person of the triune God, the perfection of heaven at his feet. His name praised all day long from beginning to end before there was a beginning and an end. This is Jesus. And what does he do? In response to the will of the Father, he does not take on a position that is lower than the Father because that's who he is. He willingly subjects himself, submits himself, brings himself under the will of the Father to take on our form. He humbled himself. Now when we think of humble, we think of humility, right? We think he humiliated himself. He made himself this... No. Humility, the picture that we get here is like that of a, that of a bridled horse. That of Superman allowing a soldier to shackle him. Like, okay, go ahead. You can do this now and lead me away. Now, what, what can Superman do immediately? Anyone? Like, we're done here, right? But he willingly subjects himself to that authority in the same way that a horse that has all the power to kick you into eternity, when bridled, when bringing itself under the submission of the rider, all the power is still there, but willingly subjects itself to the will of the rider. And that's the picture that we get of Christ humbling himself, still fully God, still fully powerful, and yet willingly, because of the will of the Father, subjects himself to the authority of the Father to allow us that lesser form, that created by him form, 
to approach him with hammer and nails to say, hey, all-powerful God, you lay right there and spread your arms out. You go ahead and you put your feet together so that we can pound these nails through your hands and feet. Don't think for a moment that Jesus couldn't have stopped it like that. In the same way that don't think for a moment that the horse you are riding on can't get you off its back. Don't care how much of a Texan cowboy you are. Them things be powerful. And yet, what we see in Jesus is a willing submission because of the will of the Father. And in that, Jesus creates for us a model for us. In that, Jesus becomes for us, first of all, what we couldn't be on our own. We celebrate what he did, but now let's not lose sight of the picture that he created for us at the exact same time. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little more here in a second. That word, making himself a slave, is actually the very thing, or a servant, that's the very thing that we are called to. If you flip back to our passage for the day, in 1 Peter 2.16, I'm going to flip back in my notes because I write the scriptures out in my Bible and now the, the passage itself does me no good. Where is page one? There we go. So in verse 16, we have live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Who we are called to be, how we are called to live is exactly what our Savior modeled for us. Same word, same posture, willingly submitting, not because you are weak, not because you do not have rights, authority, or power, but willingly bringing yourself in subjection to another to reflect something greater to accomplish something greater. Christ accomplished our salvation on the cross through his willing submission. We'll talk more about what our willing submission accomplishes here in a second. But again, at this point, panic button, right? For those of us who don't run towards government, but run away from it, right? You've already checked your concealed carry for just that that feeling like, okay, good, it's still there. And you're already thinking through what this might be in regards to your rights, to your privileges. You're, you already have objections that you're going to bring up to me at the end of the service. That's great. I will love to have those conversations with you. Um, but what about the laws that infringe upon our rights? What about, what about companies? What about governments that promote and call us to support sinful behaviors? Call us to, uh, call us to take part in sinful practices? What about schools that, that want to try and indoctrinate our, our children with these evil, untrue lies? And what about all of these authorities that have been placed over us that are anything but godly or God-honoring? You're telling us that we just got to submit and let the world roll over us? Like, our only option is, thank you, sir, may I have another? Like, is that, is that where we are as believers? Is that what we are called to? It's a good time to move on to our next point, I think, if that's where you're at. Our next point is, in every instance where man's authority conflicts with God's authority, we stand with God. We stand with God. That's exactly what we're called to in verses 16 and 17. It says, live as people who are what? 
Thank you, Rob Blair, for being my only person who is following along in the text. Live as people who are not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. In other words, as Christians, we are called to submit to authorities that ultimately have no authority over us. No authority over us. Our governments, our jobs, any institutional authority that is over you, if you are a believer, ultimately has no authority over you if you are a believer. Because you are a son or a daughter of the king of the universe. Your bloodline is an eternal bloodline. The authority that is Christ has been given to you to go there for. That is your authority because it's His authority and that is the ultimate authority. Therefore, all other authorities must bow to that authority. So the way in which we are called to submit, again, bridled horse, shackled superman, It really doesn't mean that there is no authority that we hold as believers. Does that make sense? We are, though we are free, to actually subject ourselves to God, who then commands us to be submissive to, to be subject to other authorities. And therefore, when there is a moment, when there is an issue, when there is the point where man's authority contradicts the word of God and what he has commanded us to do, how he has commanded us to live, we stand with our ultimate authority. We submit, though we are free, as an act of worship to the one whom we serve. Verse 17 is in something that is called a chiastic structure. Please don't think I'm smart. I'm not not smart. Those of you who know me best know just how sadly true that is. But I do know how to use Google. And uh, what I found out about verse 17 is that Paul, or uh, I'm sorry, Peter rather, uses a literary device that's used to group two ideas together to make a point. Right? So we have, we have over here, we have honor everyone. And then in the middle, we have love the brotherhood, fear God. And then over here, we have honor the emperor. So out here, these two things are grouped together. Does that make sense? Our general call to honor everyone and our general call to honor the emperor is on the scale of what we are called to as followers of Christ. Right? It falls under the parameters of what we are called to do as Christians. But at the center, at the core, the driving force behind who we are and what we do, the emphasis of our lives is to love our fellow believer and to fear, to worship, to adore, to admire, I mean, to, to, to have God be our everything. That is the driving force behind who we are and how we live. Making our call to submit to governing authorities secondary, should the two ever conflict. And yet again, and this is, this is, this is where I need to check my heart. And this might be where you need to check your heart today. Because we can, we can say amen to this. 
But again, that call to, to show honor to, to show respect to the authorities that are over us means that even in the times when we can no longer submit, we are still called to honor to every extent that we can. And so in a world where Insurrection Day is a holiday and makes sense, in a world where Let's Go Brandon or worse is chanted about our president and put on flags and t-shirts and I almost bought one myself, so I'm sorry. But again, I'm speaking to my own heart here. In a world where this type of submission and honoring or lack thereof happens, as believers, we are called to a higher standard from a much higher authority. And so we need to check our hearts lest we be in line for judgment that we do not want to receive or correction from our loving Father that we do not want to receive. This is in line with our call to be holy. And so in the same way that men, we pursue sexual purity and they have nothing to do with the garbage of this world. And, and, and women, as we pursue, whatever you pursue as women, that's cool. You can talk about that. I'm not going to make any statements because I don't want, again, sidearm. Um, in the same vein of holiness that we are called to, Submission, the way that we submit, and even the ways that we don't submit is supposed to be a reflection of the one who came for us and died for us and rose again for us and reigns forever victorious over us. And we can't lose sight of that because the world is watching. This approach to our governing authorities is seen all throughout Scripture. And this way in which we are called to resist in an honoring way is something that we see throughout Scripture. We go back to the book of Daniel, again, to uh, pagan Babylonia. And again, when we think about the, the Babylonians and the way that we live, this was not a quasi-Christian world. This was a place that ransacked and, and brought into submission God's chosen people. Now, we know that that was ultimately for judgment, but we also know that they are going to face judgment for the very things that they did against God's chosen people. So there's that weird tension within Scripture. But point being, this, this was not a, this was not a, this wasn't even a post-Christian world. This was, this was a non-Christian environment. This was a non-God-fearing environment. And the governing authorities over Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were just that. And yet, we read about their story, uh, primarily in Daniel chapter 2 and 3. Here are these uh, Israelite exiles, and what happens? Are they, are they holding picket signs on the corner, trying to conform uh, this Babylonian culture, and, and trying to point out all the ways in which they don't fear God, and don't love Him, and don't serve Him? No, actually... They lived in such a way where they were actually raised to the council of this pagan king. Think about that. That is the equivalent of Jason Leinbeck being on the presidential staff for Joe Biden. Like, like what? How, how can this happen? 
Indy, could that ever happen? No. He shakes his head no. Like, that would be really hard for us to imagine, yet here is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these God-fearing men, asked to be on the council of the king. How do we get there? Well, we don't get there without honor. We don't get there without willing submission. And if they really believed that their job was to point out what was wrong at every turn, they probably would have been dead within a week. And yet God calls them to something different. He calls them to willing submission and calls them to a place of high command until the point where their submission and their honor to man's authority came smack dab into something that was central to who God called them to be. We know about this story, right? Nebuchadnezzar creates this golden statue and commands everybody in the kingdom, hey, you know what, from now on you are praying and you are bowing down when you hear the harp, the flute, the drums, the synth, the grand piano, whatever you hear it, like everyone get down and you worship that statue. And that led to this amazing interchange between Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and King Nebuchadnezzar that we find In Daniel chapter 3, that's on one of my notes. Here it is. Uh, Verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have made up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigger, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, and fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Ooh, I like this next line. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? That tells you a little bit about the cultural context that they were in, right? Like, it it wasn't post-Christian, folks. It wasn't quasi-Christian. He willingly looked in the eyes of these three fearless men and said, Who's this God you think you serve? think he's going to save you? Wow. And then we have this. You want to resist? Resist like this. Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. We know who our ultimate authority is, right? If this be so, Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Never losing honor and respect for the one whom they are talking to but never compromising for a single second on who they ultimately serve. May it be said of me. Daniel goes on to model this. He was even higher in command in Babylon through uh, both Nebuchadnezzar and Darius until the day that Darius was tricked into making this decree, right? Hey, king, we really hate Daniel. Uh, well, you should make this decree that everybody has to pray to you and worship you. And so you should do this. It'd be a really good thing. And Darius is like, well, why not? You know, we're in Babylon. So, I mean, you know, what does it matter? Sure. Hey, pray to me. Cool. Daniel reads the decree, and what does he do? Opens his windows up, gets down, and prays to the one true God, just like those those wise advisors knew that he would. 
prayed all the way to the lion's den. Why? Because he wasn't going to compromise on what was core to who he is, which is to worship the one true God. And there wasn't anybody that was going to tell him that he was going to do otherwise. We see this from the author of the very book that we're reading, Peter and John, in Acts 4.18. Here they are, they're arrested and told by the council in Jerusalem, hey, you know what? You guys better stop preaching the gospel. All right, we know who you guys are. You're a bunch of rebels and you're just causing this big uproar. We are done with this gospel thing. We are going to beat you and, and it stops here. Here's the response. Acts 4.18, so they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. That's for you to deal with. You want to come at me with that authority? You want to come at me with that decree? That's on you. But what does he go on to say? For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. They understood their ultimate marching orders. It came in the Great Commission, right? Go therefore. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Your ultimate authority, whom you bow to, part of fearing God, is to go out in the authority that I have given to you and to preach the gospel to all the nations, to make disciples of all the nations, to teach them and to train them to observe what I have commanded. That is our ultimate marching orders as believers. And the second that someone comes to us and says, close your mouth and dismiss your gospel from your rhetoric, sorry, I can't do that. I can't preach those sermons. You can't work like that in your workspace. You can't live your life like that in the marketplace or in your neighborhood. I'm sorry, we have an overarching call to who we are and what we are called to do. And we can never shut our mouths when it comes to the name of Jesus Christ and what He's done for us. And we can never worship another God other than the one true God. Now, we can go a long way to live peaceably in a pagan nation with those who do not agree as we do. And make no mistake, there are good men and women in America who are called to fight for justice through our political systems. Thank God for, for, for people like Mark. Thank God for Micah, where are you at? You in here? Yeah, you crazy lobbyist. Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of people in here who say, wait, the word of God says this and therefore I stand for this in my country as long as I can stand for it. Praise God for that. But ultimately, what scripture models for us is when we can no longer submit, it is when somebody is coming and saying, you can no longer bow a knee to your God or speak of your Messiah. And that is the moment where submission to a higher authority is required. This was true in Babylon. It was true in the godless Greco-Roman world. This is true in communist regimes or countries that are ruled by Sharia law where Christian martyrs abound. 
And this is true for us in America today, regardless of who our president is or any other governing authorities that are over us. We are called to submit to these authorities he has placed over us until submitting is no longer an option. Until it comes in a direct conflict with who we serve and who we speak about. The God we worship and the truth we proclaim. And the difficulty becomes in determining sometimes when submission is no longer an option. And this is the part that you want me to get to, right? This is, this is the part that we really want to find out because, you know, should I submit when they tell me to put on a mask? Should I do it? I don't want to. I'm right there with you. My breath always smells bad because I drink coffee and it's hard. I don't like to do it. I don't like to do it. I get it. Ugh. Stand 10 feet away if you want to debate about this afterwards, by the way. Um, should we submit when they tell us to close the door on our, on our churches? Schultz, I, I bow to you. Cause I, guess what? I'm in subjection to you and the other elders. Praise God. That's great. Uh, should we? Shouldn't we? We have to wrestle through that, right? Should we submit when they tell me to inject something into my body or else? Should we submit when they say that my right to bear arms is no longer a right? Should we submit to these things? These situations will always exist. And guys, let's be honest, these are going to increase, right? Like we, we read this with open eyes and, and we can be honest. Even if we can't all agree on how this all pans out in the end, we can agree that this is, this is going to get worse before it gets better, right? Even for us in America, like, can we see that? You're shaking your head and you're, you're an authority over me, and so I feel good saying that. That's good. I'm glad that we can all come to that. And that's true because the Bible warns us in advance because we don't serve a cruel God. He's actually letting us know what the end is going to look like so that we can prepare our hearts for it. And so as these questions come, we have to realize that every single one of these issues, there are going to be men and women on their knees with Bible open seeking to honor God. And so the way in which we discuss this with each other has to go back to Timothy and the way that we speak to each other, the way that we go through this together, these things that we hold in tension while also looking at the context of where these commands were given and also the, the examples that we see in Scripture, not in American history, not in the, the history of Europe, not, not in any other history, but in the, in, in, in the authoritative Word of God, where is submission no longer an option? And what does it look like to continue to honor even when we have to be subject to a higher authority? And we have to remember that our rights are a blessing that are not shared by the majority of believers around this world or whom have ever lived. I am, I, I love being an American. I love that right now, my, my fear level of being up here on a pulpit preaching the word of God is, is, I mean, it's higher this Sunday than most Sundays, but, but it's, it's non-existent. I'm not looking at those doors when I preach to you. 
I am not waiting for the authorities to come in and lead me away and say that I can't see my wife or my kids anymore. I'm not afraid of that. But I don't have to read many articles and voices of the martyrs or across our globe that show us a world where that is not the case, guys. That is not the case. And it hasn't been the case throughout history. And so if we think that what we have is some, is like God's plan for forever, we gotta wake up. The freedoms and the privileges that we hold dear, we hold them just like any blessing. We hold them loosely. Knowing that in an instant they could be gone. It doesn't mean that we don't elect good men in office. It doesn't mean that we don't lobby for things that matter. But we have to understand what is central to who we are. Because when we no longer have a voice, we still have a voice. And when an authority comes up to us and mocks our ultimate authority or says that we no longer have the right, we have an ultimate right that nobody can take from us. Our constitution can crumble, the flag can fall, and the walls that men like this stand on, they can crumble right along with it. But you know what doesn't? The infallible, unchangeable, eternal word of God and what it calls us to as believers. That can exist under any regime, under any dictatorship, under any cultural context or climate. We can be the people God has called us to be, worship Him and speak of Him regardless of the cost. I'm sorry, slide people. I go back to First Peter chapter 3 because the fact is that Peter already tells us that it can cost us a great deal. First Peter chapter 3, we'll get to this one later. Verse 13, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Even there, even there when we are suffering, when we are being harmed for doing good, for being the people God has called us to be, we are still called to answer in a way that is with gentleness and respect, having good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, for it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Take my rights, take my freedoms, burn my house, my land, my guns, my body. But let me tell you about my Jesus. That doesn't change. That's who we are called to be regardless of what we go through. And I know Paul had his rights, right? For those of you who are going to object and say, wait a second, we can hold to our rights and we can really just, we we can fight for these harder than we fight for anything else just like Paul did. Yes. In Acts 22, Paul does in Jerusalem, before he receives a beating, he says, hey, you're going to beat a Roman citizen? Is that 
Is that what you're going to do? And for those of you who have spent any time in Scripture researching what that means, you know that as a Roman citizen, Paul had rights. There was kind of this little quasi-trial that could happen with the magistrates who were there where they're like, yeah, we think you're a punk. We're going to beat you and send you on your way. And it didn't really have to go to a higher court. Well, Roman citizens had a right to where they could say, hey, your little whatever this is, we're better than that. So I know you, you're, you really want to beat someone today, but not me. <laughs> Got to get something more official. And so in Acts 22, we see Paul enacting that right. And yet if we are going to use that as a defense for us to run after our rights above all else, we have to hold it in tension with what we see in Acts 16. Where in Macedonia, Paul chooses not to exercise this same right and willingly took a beating and was willingly thrown in jail with Silas. How do we know that he didn't exercise this right? Because he pulls a little gotcha at the end of the chapter, right? When they're like, hey, Paul, you know, we talked about it, and uh, you can go out the back door. You know, we're, we're done with you. We've, we've beaten you. We're not going to hold you. He says, uh, no, actually, I'm a Roman citizen whom you unjustly beat. So whoever you got that command from, you tell them to come down here and tell me that personally. And everybody involved started shaking because that's the first time that they heard of this man's right that he well knew. And yet what happened as a result of this, folks? You remember what happened when Paul and Silas were thrown in jail? When the chains fell off and the gates flew open? What happened to the jailer? What happened to his entire family? What happened to, we don't know how many people in Macedonia, they came to know their Lord and Savior and the power of salvation that comes through Christ. Does that thought even enter our mind when it comes to a discussion about our rights? That God's greatest concern may not be our freedoms and privileges? That for the sake of another, God actually might be calling us in the moment by the leading of His Spirit to say, okay, here is my gun. And while you're here... Let's have a conversation. I mean, I'm just asking, is that in our worldview? Is that in the realm of possibility of the way that we think? Because it was in Paul's. The same man who knew his rights to avoid a beating was willing to surrender his rights to willfully take a beating. That led to the salvation of many. We have an ultimate call. And everything else that falls on the periphery Guys, we got to be willing to surrender that for the sake of a greater purpose. The worship of the name of the one true God and bringing everybody into saving relationship with Him. That's who we're about. That's what we fight for. That's what we die for. That's how martyrs can sing while the fires come up. I don't want it, but I certainly don't want to resist it. I don't want it. I don't welcome it. But I certainly don't want to think that it could be outside of God's will for me and each and every one of you. Because in the last days, the church that remains is going to be purified through persecution. And we have to understand, we have to understand that the war that we fight is not against flesh and blood. It's not against Biden. It's not against Trump. It's not against a party. It's not against Karl Marx. Guys, the, the, 
What we are fighting is the powers and principalities of this present darkness. That's what Ephesians 6 tells us. And we know exactly how those powers are going to be fought. And it comes to us in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. And they conquered him, the, the ultimate power, right? They conquered Satan. They conquered these powers and principalities. Before the final war, the saints won... And this is how they did so. They conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimonies, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Beloved, may that be said of me. May that be said of you. May that be said of the church in America and Afghanistan and China and Africa, and all over through the ages, as it has been through the ages, you can take away everything, but you cannot take away my right to serve the one true God and my right to proclaim the excellencies of His salvation to you and to anyone else. That Those are the rights that we hold dear. And if all else fails, that's who we are at the core. And that doesn't stop. Our last point, willing submission to earthly authority reflects true faith in our ultimate authority. And our obedience in this area has far-reaching implications. That wasn't our last point. We got one more. I lied. 1 Peter chapter 2. Verses 12 and 15. Verse 12, he says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. We read this last week. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We have a watching world. Verse 15, For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Here we see that our response to man's authority impacts our testimony before all men. It does. They're watching. And we're either going to shut them up or we are going to turn them on to the truth. They are either going to see something different in us and bow a knee or they are going to be silenced by the way in which we submit, by the way in which we honor. Not as revolutionaries, not as anarchists, not as insurrectionists, no. Not as people who mock authorities that we disagree with, but by people who are cut from a different cloth. Chris reminded us last week in his poem, our lives preach a gospel whether we realize it or not, and it may be the only one that some people will ever hear. Will the way that we live our lives as believers, specifically as it pertains to how we submit and honor the authorities in our lives, will it not only silence those who oppose the life-giving, eternity-altering gospel of Jesus Christ, but will it give the aroma of something greater to the rest of the watching world? Does the way that we press into holiness in this area give the aroma of Christ? Or will it just, will our submission, our honor, our lack thereof just produce the same stench as everyone else? Let's pray. God, we need you. This is hard. This is hard stuff. And it costs and it may cost more tomorrow than it does today. And yet your commands, like your character, like your plan, doesn't change. 
And that's why we can trust in you as our ultimate authority, knowing that whatever it is that you call us to do is ultimately for our good. And it ultimately glorifies you. Lord, we do this for your sake, as your word says. We honor these authorities. We, we submit to these authorities for your sake, to give you glory, you honor, you praise, because of your word and what you call us to. And so God, I pray that we would be willing to die to self in these areas that we are unwilling to because of fear, because of what it might cost us. But Lord, I pray that we would humbly, that we would, with reserved strength, based on the authority that you give us as your beloved, I pray that we would submit. And in the moment that we can't, that we would do so in such a way that gives the aroma of Christ to the watching world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.